This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, Show 84. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with Brandon Turner. What's up, Brandon? Hey, Josh. How are you this fine uh, afternoon? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. We 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 just wrapped up recording the show that we're about to introduce, and it was one of our first absolutely perfect shows in Amazing. terms of yeah, we didn't we didn't mess up. <laughs> Which yeah. is great. Yeah, people don't know how much we mess up, except for Dave, who is our uh, you know editor. Uh, he's the only one that really knows how much we screw up. So, yeah. yeah. Well, k- kudos to Dave for uh, helping <laughs> us look better than we are. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah, things are good, and you know, just excited about how things are going. Bigger pockets is rocking. You know, life is uh, life is good, man. Life is good. I'm getting my refinances all finished up, wrapped up, and life is much more simple now. Yeah. Awesome. I like to hear it, man. And the summer's starting to wrap up. So, you know, we're all about to get back into the grind again, aren't we? Yeah. I, I never left the grind. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> vacation. I need a vacation day, Brandon. Can I take one? Because no. I've had one. No, please. Nope. Check Just the employee one. handbook. You don't get any. Sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> the job, you know, it's funny. The job of the boss is not any fun. Like, I, we're dealing with this stuff and. We've got these guys working for us, like Brandon. They're talking about vacations. Hey, I need Christmas off, and I need Thanksgiving off, and I need New Year's. And and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's reasonable. Well, I'll be working on Christmas and New Year's <laughs> because somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Yeah, well, you know. Anyway, so uh, that's the life of the boss, I guess. Quick tip. Yeah, let's, let's please, let's move on. <laughs> quick tip. Today's quick tip is member blogs. Biggerpockets.com slash blogs is where you, our membership, can go and write blogs. And these blogs, you know, it's not where you're going to go and write and ask questions. It's where you're going to go and tell your story and share information, things you know and things you've learned in articles that you've written. And these blogs are really, really good way to build your name, your brand, to show that you are an expert, that you know what you're doing. It helps people out. It helps you out. It's great for pretty much everybody. You go to biggerpockets.com slash blogs, you create a blog. And if your content is good, your writing is good, we might even pick you up to become a contributor on the Bigger Pockets blog. We also look to find guests for the podcast there. So there's certainly a lot of value that comes with it and with the visibility within the community come good things like deals, people wanting to give you money, all sorts of fun stuff. So check out the member blogs at biggerpockets.com slash blogs. There you go. All right. And today's pro benefit of the week, if you want to upgrade to pro, it's biggerpockets.com slash get pro. And you can watch me and Josh's cool video there. But today's pro benefit is you can actually check out who's looking at your profile. We probably mentioned this before, but just want to reiterate. If you are a pro member, you can see who's looking at your profile, which is really great because you can connect with these people who are already trying to learn more about you. Uh, So Josh calls it prospecting warm leads. It's a really good way to put it. You're looking for people who are already interested in you. So reach out to them, send them a message, send them a colleague request, build a relationship, and they've already done half the work for you. So go check it out today at biggerpockets.com slash profile slash stats. 
There you have it. There, there you have it. it. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Let's get to the show today. Show 84 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. And you can find the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 84. Our guest is Chad Carson. Chad's a full-time real estate investor from Clemson, South Carolina, college town. And uh, he's got experience in fix and flips and lease options and buy and hold and all sorts of stuff. Primarily really focuses on buy and hold and flips. He's done, I believe, close to 100 deals now. And uh, he's, he's got a really cool perspective on how to invest. And I definitely encourage you to stick around. It's not all about getting rich, not, not even getting rich quick or slowly. It's a matter of you know building up wealth through real estate and also maintaining some semblance of lifestyle. And I don't know, I, I personally think it's pretty awesome how he's, his business has shifted. Yeah, he definitely is kind of a lifestyle real estate investor. And I think that's awesome. So people are going to love this. It's very, very, uh, what's the word, motivating. And yeah. it's uh, great. I love it. So yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's bring him in. Awesome. And and by the way, for those of you interested and who are listening, we also get into some really, really cool stuff about using private lenders. Uh, there's a lot of really great yeah. stuff. So pay attention. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The Wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 Exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com. Or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Um, So here we go. Chad, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you here. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. Us too. Us too. All right, let's jump into this. How did you get started in the world of real estate investing? 
Well, I had to go back to college because uh, I went to the university at Clemson University, and I was sort of, you know, like most postgrad graduate people, you're saying, all right, what am I going to do? What kind of career am I going to go into? And I was the pre-med route, biology route, nah. and I started applying uh, to medical schools. And it's just something in the back of my mind said, ah, I'm just not sure I want to go all these years of school. And then I had family members who were in medicine. They're like, don't do it. Don't do it. And so I just decided to, I started reading. My dad had some rental properties. So I grew up at least having it in my consciousness that you could be an entrepreneur and buy rental uh, real estate. And so I read a couple books he had and decided that, you know, I, I own my car free and clear and I got a thousand bucks in the bank. Why not? You know, I have nothing to lose really. So I'm just going to try to get started and buy some real estate. And it just sort of went from there. I just kind of jumped into it. All right. So you had a thousand bucks in the bank and you said, I'm going to become a real estate investor. Yep. Well, how did that go? Very slowly at first. Yep. Uh, but you know, I think my start was sort of, I would recommend it to other people because you know, I was out of college. You know, I didn't really have a whole lot to offer <laughs> to the world. You know, I, just, I just read a book. I didn't, I didn't know that much about it, but I sought out somebody who knew a lot more than I did and my value proposition was, hey, I'm studying one little tiny niche. I think I've learned a couple formulas about how to buy properties, you know, the 70% formula and so something like that. And so I talked to my dad, first of all, and said, if I went out and found deals for you, could we work something out where I could learn and earn a little bit of money, live at home cheap? And he was looking to acquire more uh, rental properties and a few flips. And so he took me under his wing and taught me what he was looking for. And so for me, that was, really, that was a really awesome way to start because I could start with low overhead and I learned a ton and also made a little bit of money while I was doing that. So that, that's what I did for the first year, nice. which is buying deals for him and picking them out and learning how to, how to go out and find properties. Well, that's, that's really cool. And, and obviously you were lucky that your dad was the guy and so you had some built-in advantages with that. But you know, let's look at this from somebody else's perspective who's starting. You know, Say I want to... I want to start being an investor and you know maybe I've got a little bit of cash but I you know like you I I don't really know much except maybe how to find or evaluate and find some decent deals do you think that's a good path to go and link up with somebody like your dad who's you know who's an active successful investor and you know and offer hey I'd like to find these deals for you and I guess what I'm going to really trying to get at is what kind of deal did you strike with your dad you know sure. what, what did you end up getting you know what what did he pay you yeah, sure. Well, I can start with that that part of the question. I'm, I made two thousand dollars per deal. Okay. And so his, his objective with me, he said, "Here's my formula. This is not going to change." And this is what any experienced investor would tell you. And I think there would have been other people who would have done this if I would have talked to him, other than my dad. But he said, "I'll pay you two thousand dollars per deal." So what you need to do is, when you go make offers to people, make sure you use my formula and you subtract two thousand bucks, so that we can build in enough money for you to make a little bit of money. And so that would be the same thing I would do. And I did that when I, so I moved up, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, in Noonan, Georgia, where he lived. And then I moved back up to South Carolina where I went to school. And I did the same thing uh, when I started, moved up there. I found a couple other investors locally who I knew had cash, who I knew, you know, would go buy properties. And I, I like that strategy of finding one or two experienced investors to buy for better than what I have some friends who try to do wholesaling and they would, you know, do the whole buyer's list thing where you try to get, 500 people on your buyer's list. And yep. I, just, I just think it's, yeah. you're kind of working it backwards because you don't have any clue what a good deal is when you first yep. start. Yeah. You need the mentorship more than you need the, you know, the buyer's list. So I, I found that to be a really effective 
for me, for me at least. And that sounds like a decent deal while you're learning. I mean, make a couple thousand bucks on any opportunity that you bring. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I was just thinking like, I wish people, I just want to kind of reiterate what you said there because it was so good. So many people come to Bigger Pockets and they want to be a wholesaler. And the first thing they say is, how do I build my cash buyers list? How do yep, I find right. cash buyers? How do I find yep. cash buyers? It's ridiculous, right? Because yep. if you find the cash buyers, you're just going to look like an idiot in front of them because you don't know how to bring them a good deal. So mm-hmm. like, obviously, yes, that's part of the puzzle you need, but it's worthless without the other pieces. So I think is- that right on one more comment too just about when you're new and i said i didn't have anything to bring to the table what i think i did have because with my dad and then i had a couple other people who I, who mentored me after that was what i did have was sincerity and energy and enthusiasm and willingness to learn and i found that for all the new people whatever age you are if you go in there with that attitude to your experienced investors and find a way to really show them that you're sincere and show them that you're professional about this and you're taking this seriously I mean, I think people are very receptive to that. And once you get your foot in the door, it's one of the guys who I did that with, he always called me the young pup and he was the old lion. <laughs> nice. And he, he, said, he said, you know, the old, the, the old lions need young pups to come there and ask them yep. questions and build their ego and make them feel like they know a lot. Yep. And so if, if you're new, I mean, people, people don't mind sharing. And if you can really build a formula that makes them some money and have a good value proposition, I don't think it's hard to find those people at all. Yeah. That's great advice. I, I've said that before on the podcast too, and I'll, I'll say it again now. Is like, if you are a young person investing in real estate or trying to get into the game, I mean, by young, I mean anything under like 40, right? If you are like, Woo-hoo. yeah. <laughs> if you I'm are a younger person, all right. Yeah. If you are a young person, like that is, like people think that's a, a, a liability for them. I mean, they think it's something bad, but it's really not. That is your strongest asset you have is the, your, your youth and enthusiasm because the older, wiser investors just love that. I mean, I found it over and over in my life. They just, they love that enthusiasm that I have and they want to share with me everything they know. And they say, oh, I, I see myself, you know, I see myself in you when I was that age or if only I had started then, I'd be so much further today. And uh, yeah, so if you're young, if, if you're trying to get into investing, play that up. It's okay. You know, be the be the young pup. So yeah, yeah I, I agree. That. I agree. Awesome. Cool. All right. So you, you started out, I guess you could, I mean, maybe you could call that bird dogging. Is that what you'd, you'd call that? Yeah. Yeah, I was a bird dog. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So you started doing that. How does that differ from wholesaling or does it differ from wholesaling at all? I think the, the distinction we talked about earlier, you know, and I don't really like the traditional wholesaling model. And it sounds like you didn't either where you where you're you're basically for a, for a beginner. I mean, yeah. if, if, if there are some I know some successful wholesalers, but they are very, very few. <laughs> I, I don't know many who do it really well. Yep. So I'd say a bird dog is somebody who is an apprentice to an experienced investor and a wholesaler is a person who has a legitimate, they're experienced, they're a marketer, they can generate a ton of leads, they really can't, they understand the whole business model from the beginning to the end. So I, I was a bird dog, and I think any beginner is a bird dog, essentially. Yeah. You might get lucky and wholesale one every once in a while, but it's, it's not a good business plan, I don't think, to go out trying to be a wholesaler from the beginning. Be a, be a bird dog, be an apprentice, be a, be a realtor, be a contractor, I mean, do something that is along the whole chain of real estate and then find a way to learn that little niche. And my niche was learning how to find deals and market. That was it. Hey, Chad. So on the topic of bird dog, and I know you're, uh, you're, you're not a lawyer, but no. uh, there's, you know, there's certain debate on the, on the legality of bird dogging. And, and I don't know if you've got any perspective on that, but uh, I'm just curious sure. what, what your take is. 
Yeah, and, somebody. And, and by the way, again, yeah. Chad is, is I'm not a lawyer. He's not a lawyer, <laughs> and I'm not a lawyer, and Brandon's not a lawyer. So I was going to be a lawyer, though. So that no. Yeah. Well, no, you nothing? know. Okay. No. I was never going to be a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. You and and you <laughs> wanted to be a lawyer, Brandon. You yeah. never were going to be a lawyer. That okay. wasn't happening. I will, I want my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. Whatever. Right. There we go. Yeah, my right. mom wanted me to me to be an astronaut, and that wasn't <laughs> happening. You can still do it. Hey, that'd be cool. Yeah, you got time. You're young. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, if I had to start over and. This, this is the same situation I was in. I have my real estate license now. And I would say the, the easy way to get a, I mean, in any state, I believe, and you check with your lawyer too, but if you have your license, you can get a referral fee. And yeah. so yeah. I, mean, I learned a ton with my realtor class and I was, I was very surprised how much of the business I learned when I took the class and learned about local title law and things like that. It was very helpful anyway for a beginner. And then I, you can get referral fees without facing a lot of issues. So I, yeah. I think that's the way I would go. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yep. And I think there's a lot that comes with getting your real estate license. I remember, you know, when when I got licensed in California and we had to go through this real estate principles class and you know, it really covered a lot of the basics that you probably want to know as an investor anyway. And you know, I I know we've kind of talked with with a few people on this, but it sounds like you think it'd be a really good idea for any new investor to to even possibly start that way is get licensed. I, yeah, I like it. I like that. And I didn't start that way myself. And yeah. I, I think you avoid a lot of the issues. You know, you'd have to get an assignment of a contract. I mean, there's just, if you're a beginner, you don't think you need to know all the details, but you need to know it's, it's more straightforward to get paid when you have a license. And yeah. that, there are definitely some hurdles and some things, disclosures you got to make. But I, I think those are far less important and difficult to overcome than the fact that when you not when you don't have a license, you got to go through a, jump through a bunch of paperwork hoops and maybe legality hoops. You know, I don't know. That's that's debatable. But yeah. uh, it, for me, it, it makes a lot of sense. So why'd yeah. you get your license? I'm I'm guessing you know when you got it, you were well past bird dogging and and mm-hmm. doing other things. But what inspired you to get it ultimately? Yeah, I was getting requests for consulting. Basically, people were putting a deal together and saying, "Can you look at this deal with me and help me analyze it?" Or were you, you know, and and I didn't. To me, when I read the state law on having your license, it was basically, if you're a real estate consultant, you had to have your license. And so it was, again, it was for me, if I'm going to have a side income source with people paying me to help them put a deal together as a consultant, it makes sense to have that license, get paid. That's why I did it. Gotcha. So, and now that you have it, what other advantages do you see coming from it as an investor? And maybe you could talk about again, you know, some of the advantages for somebody new and advantages for somebody who may be in the business for you know, years, but, you know, hasn't quite gotten over to do it. Yeah. Um, well, for me, I'll speak just more, more experience, you know, being about 12 years into it now. I think it gives me an added security blanket sort of, you know, I'm, I'm a full-time investor. So, you know, I make my money from buying and fixing and flipping houses is sort of our core strategy. I also make money managing our properties. And so I have those two income sources, but, you know, when you go, it goes up and down, all entrepreneurs know that, and I don't know what's going to work next year. And so, it's nice to know that I could then go and change my business model, do a couple listings next year, be a buyer's agent, a commercial agent. I mean, I could do something else. And it's just another, you know, it's just another thing I've got to, to make some more money because that's been the most difficult part of the journey for me is that you, you start off with a thousand bucks in the bank and every year you don't know if you're going to make enough money this year, you're going to flip enough deals, what's going to happen. And so I think everybody needs to be thinking about plan B, C, D, and that's what it is for me. It's just a plan. I don't use it very much right now. I still hire realtors to list my properties because I think they do it better than I could. 
I don't show people around the properties and take them around on the weekends. That's just not what I do. I'm a, a deal finder and putting deals together and talking to private money lenders. And I, I do that really well, whereas the realtor thing, I don't. Yeah, and that's interesting. I, I think most people would say, are you out of your mind, Chad? Like, man, you got a license. Why aren't you listing your own properties? Why aren't you dealing with that stuff? I mean, you're you're spending all this money that you can save and you got your license. But clearly for you, your time is better spent doing something else is, is probably the math that you've done, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I just did a strengths assessment for myself. And and I look at my time management, the, the best time I can spend in what I, I would say one of my strengths is, is when I'm sitting face to face with a seller, talking to them about their problem, having a conversation, listening, talking to one of the, you know, and like you said, Brandon, somebody who's 70 years old and owns a house. And here I am 33 or 34, I'm 34 now talking to them and they're, and they, uh, the fact that I'm going to listen for two hours and just discuss it with them and, and they can see that I'm sincere, that is really good use of my time because when I do that and you do that enough, I'm going to get a few deals out of that time. And it, I've made a lot of money on flips and I made a lot of money on rentals You know, with that kind of time spent every day. I think that's great. I think that's great. You know, I think one of the things that Brandon has done most for me personally is encourage me of the same thing, you know, and I, I, I think it's hard to look at ourselves from within ourselves. And I think it's a lot easier to have somebody come in and help you out with that. And, and you know, I, I've found that, you know, over the years, I've, I've been so knee deep within it, uh, that, mm. you know, I, I've, I've been too busy to, to realize that I'm really good at, at certain things and I should be spending all my time and energy on those things and pay other people to do the things I'm not as good at or that I shouldn't be wasting my time doing. And, you know, it can be hard to come to that decision. And I'm personally extremely grateful to Brandon for that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, thanks. Yeah. Nice. Nice, Brandon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look at me. Ooh, brownie points. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't, and I, and I can't claim that I figured that one out on my own. I'm, I'm kind of blinders on as well, doing yep. all the work, and then somebody, and it's, it's mentors, you know, other people in your business yep. saying, "Hey, what, what are you doing that for? You know, what, why, why are you spending your time trying to put signs out at your property or do some of that?" And I've got no problem. I, I think the, the other side of that is, is that I have no problem doing any stage of the work, and sure. I, I think people working for you probably respect that if you can do anything in the business. And I, but at some point, yeah, I think you got to step above the business. Look at it and see which thing you're best at, yeah. and and then focus on that. That's what we've tried to do. Yeah, that's you know, great. That's great. Instead of putting up your own fence, uh, Brandon, <laughs> you know, for example. I see. I, I I like doing you know some things, and they're sure. not necessarily most cost effective. But there's some things I enjoy doing in life, and some things I just uh, I do because I can't find anybody else to do them. But I mean. That that's a downside of me, right? Like I I could spend the time looking for somebody who can do them, but I don't a lot of times. But I, I don't know. I don't do my own work that much anymore. You know. Don't don't feel sometimes. so guilty, man. I'm getting good at this guilt thing. <laughs> <laughs> you are good at the guilt thing. That's funny. So let's go back to your story a little bit and talk about you. You started bird dogging. Uh, you got into it from that one. Got the mentors helping you out. What came next? How did you actually get into doing your own deals? What did that look like? Yeah. Well, by the end of the year, you know, as, as happens with fathers and sons, you know, I, I start saying, dad, you ought to be doing this. You ought to be doing this. What about this marketing? He said, <laughs> he said, son, let me tell you something. Why don't you head up 85 and go to another town? <laughs> I got this thing figured out. And I said, you're right. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he kicked you we, out of town, man. That's nah, we had a joke, we, we, Chad. It was, it was positive. I think, I think it was you know, kind of outgrowing the nest. You know, and, take, so and take your crap with you. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> get out of my house too. That's what it was like. <laughs> I'd saved up money by then and I had, you know, so I, I packed up the car and headed up the road and, and so my idea, hold on, hold on, hold on. He legitimately threw you out of town. He's like, this is a one investor town. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, it, it, it was a mutual, it was a mutual business plan. Cause he was doing me a favor, I think by letting me work okay. with him. But at some point I knew that I, I had, I like to do my own thing. So I, I, uh, but what I decided to do, I had a friend from college who, whose father was also, had been in the real estate business, had mobile homes and some different things. And we had just chatted all the time about real estate and kept in touch after college. And so we had always had in the back of our mind that we might want to do something together. And so we, he was up in Clemson where I live now in the college town of Clemson. And so I moved back up there and we started a business together. And the idea though was that before I moved from Atlanta, we had our first deal under contract up in Clemson. So I'd been making offers in Atlanta and in Clemson, and we bought an REO property that we were going to, it was just a fixer upper. So my thought was, I know how to find the deals now. I've got that formula down. I've got some marketing tools. All I need to do is figure out how to get the money and I can do what my dad has just done. And, and so that was the next progression was to start fixing and flipping a few properties in addition to being a little bit of a bird dog or a wholesaler, which I'd already been doing. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So on that first deal, where did you get the money? Okay. Yeah. That was, again, another mentor, another relationship. So I had a, a professor at Clemson. When I, when I finished up, I went back and took a few business classes. And I had one of my business professors during class would tell stories about real estate and what he bought. And so my ears perked up because I was interested in that. And I just I talked to him after class and said, you know, do you mind if I ride around with you? I think, I think that's what I said. Do you mind if I just you know, sit, you know, see some of your properties, talk to you? And again, enthusiasm, you know, they, they, they see that you're sincere. And he let me start riding around with him while I was taking those classes before I even started the real estate business. So I just stayed in touch with him. And when I was getting ready to move back up and do our first deal, I told him, I said, well, I think I have a really good formula. Let me show you these deals I've done. I found for my dad. I think I can find some of these deals here in, in the Clemson area. If I found a deal, how am I going to come up with the money? That was my question to him. Like, Is there any way that I can partner with you or do something with you? And he, he essentially said, yeah, let's, let's figure out a way that you find the deal, you manage the contractors, you do the work, you go get it sold, and I'll figure out how to come up with the money. And then we're going to split the profit. And so essentially, that's what we did. He went to a local bank who he had a relationship with, and the banker said, yeah, I'll loan you the money. And his, my, my friend, who's the professor, I'll loan you the money. We'll put Chad and, and Tommy on the loan too. Not that it helps anything because you have no job and you know no, not much credit, but <laughs> that, that, helped, that helped us just to get on the loan with him. And then he put up the down payment. He put up the money for the fix up. And then we turned around and whatever the net net was, we split it three ways between all three of us. Nice. That's cool. Nice. That's cool. I've always been a big fan of that strategy of using partners to, you know, even if they can't fund the entire thing, a lot of times a partner can fund part of it. So I, I'm a huge fan of that plan. I've done that a number of times. Uh, how are you actually finding, you mentioned earlier, you know, you kind of had a formula or a plan or a strategy for finding these deals for them. What was that like back then? And does that still work today? Yeah, I learned, I started doing a lot of direct mail. Okay. And again, I, I'm not, yeah, I just see myself as an experimenter in, in direct mail marketing. I'm not a, you know, what worked five years ago doesn't work now. You just kind of keep adapting it. But I, I started doing your typical kind of investor direct mail list. Like I would do an out-of-town owner list and I would just I'd find a list of owners who lived out of town or owned a property in town and they lived somewhere else. And I would send them letters just saying, I'm essentially, I'm interested in buying your house. 
And I would do the same thing with an eviction landlord list. We were working pre-foreclosures some at that point. And so I just had three or four lists that I would send out letters to, and they would call me, and uh, out of the certain number of those would work. Some, a certain number of them would be pretty good prospects. A lot of them would not. And I would just go through those and screen those. And then the ones that were good, I'd, again, I'd go sit face-to-face, talk to them, see if I could solve their problem. And, and so that was my little, I mean, there's nothing fancy about that, but that was my little, little formula to find deals. Uh, in addition, I'll add one more, was MLS. So we would, our first deal that I bought up in Clemson was, was an uh, REO property listed with a realtor. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. Cool. So you've talked about, you know, primarily you do fix and flip. Then you had talked about managing as kind of one of your means of, of driving, re- well, deriving income. Are you managing somebody else's properties or are you also building a portfolio with buy and hold? Yeah. So we have our own buy and hold portfolio and, okay. and we just manage our own properties. So I gotcha. I, I, kinda, I, I think our business is we started trying to grow and do more. We thought about getting beyond this business model, but our business model is really being like a, a big fish in a small pond as a real estate, just focusing solely on real estate investing. You know, I have yeah. my license. I could go list properties. I could do that. I could manage properties for others. But fortunately, we've been able to do, make enough money, keeping it nice and simple, working out of our house, just doing it for ourselves. And so I don't, you know, it, it keeps it simpler for me just knowing I'm an investor I manage my own stuff, and I've had to get good at managing my own stuff. But I'm not—I'm uh, not having to work. I'm not having to go out and find business for other people. Manage a bunch of properties. I can keep a manageable number, keep it small, and that's been really important for us, kind of lifestyle-wise. Because I, you know, I know I want to grow. I want to make more money, but I don't want to be. I'm not really interested in being the takeover the whole territory kind of business and having to be you know have the most sales in the whole area or the, the biggest flips or the manage the most properties. I just want to do enough that I meet my goals and, and it's moving me forward towards where I'm trying to get to personally. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm avoiding getting so big that it's taking all my energy and time and I'm able to travel a little bit more. I'm able to, at this point now, I have young kids, so be with your kids a little bit more. And that's as important to me as the kind of taking and doing a ton of business. That's awesome. I think that, I think that happens in every niche, especially you know, just business in general, right? Like we get into it because we have a why, right? We want to spend more time with our family. We want to travel more, but then the business takes over and the business becomes the why. So you want to get bigger and bigger because that's what you want to do. And then you never get time to do th- things you originally got into the game for. And uh, I know yeah, that, that's, what, that's, that's, that's definitely what happened to us. I mean, so my, our deal was I did that first deal. The first year we flipped a couple properties. We we're kind of, we're doing okay. I mean, we were definitely scraping by, but then we, we, we saw some other, you, know, you go to the seminars like, and, and you start, and that was probably the, you hear people who are doing so much volume and you get excited about that. And yeah. so I saw somebody who's doing 50 deals a year and you run the numbers and it's like, all right, they're making $20,000 per flip. And that's sort of what we're doing on some of our deals. So why not you know, do a lot more business? And I didn't have any reason other than, okay, we could do 50 deals. That'd be great. And that was kind of naive, naive of us to, to think that. And so we started to you know, turn up the marketing, do more business, buy more houses. But then you also have to add on more help to manage all these leads. You also have to get more contractors and you're not, the more you have, the the less you're managing each one well, at least less I was managing them well. And so you start getting sloppy with your money. You start, you know, not being as efficient as you were early on. And it came to the point where in 2007, we had gone from, 2003 was when we started. So I guess about four years later, we ended up having about 47 closings on properties where we acquired 47 properties in one year. Wow. 
And some of those were just your buy and flips, a good number of those. Some were wholesale deals. Some were buy and hold deals because we started buying and holding at that point. But by the end of that year, my business partner kind of said, hey, we need, to, we need to stop and think about this because we made good money on a lot of these deals, but we'd also had some that were not as ideal. Some were in, in less than ideal locations. Some I kind of got enamored by the numbers. Oh, they're going to give me great creative financing, seller financing. And so you forget some of the other fundamentals of the deal. And so we had sort of an aha moment that, all right, put the brakes on. Let's start thinking about what we've done here. Let's start seeing what, where, you know, what kind of business model we really want to be. And, and what you, to your point, Brandon, we wanted to start thinking about what is the objective here? What are we measuring our success by? And we started you know, going into this lifestyle conversation, started saying, you know, we really like playing basketball in the middle of the day for two hours. We, we live in a college town and we could go over to the stadium where the college Clemson basketball team plays and play pickup basketball for two hours. That's about as good as it gets for us, you know? So, yep. so, yep. so it, but that doesn't cost any money. And, you know, my wife and I wanted to go on a big, long trip for a few months to Latin America and travel around. And that certainly costs money, but it was a quantifiable amount. I and mean, I could, you could figure out how much that's going to be. But what we couldn't do is when you're buying 50 houses a year, you couldn't get away from it. It was a big monster. Yeah. And so it, we thought about it and said, you know what, for what our specific goals are in the short run and long run, we can probably do this without being huge and doing all that. And that was fortunate that we realized it at that point so that we could kind of slow things down, be more deliberate. And we've been adjusting our strategy since then. Hey, really quick, is we, you and your professor still or is it? Um, no, so it's, it's the the guy, my friend, who his father had the rental properties gotcha. as well, college gotcha. friend. Okay. So we have a partnership, own an LLC, and I own the business together, and we've done that from the beginning. Gotcha. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, investing with your friends, like a, a good friend. Yeah, it's worked out really, really well for us. But I wouldn't. I think it's difficult to make that work. You know, I, I had a good example. My mother's a, a dentist, and she had a partnership with her brother. So family member, you know, you're not supposed to do business with family members, not supposed to do business with friends. I had seen it work for 30 years for them and how, you know, if, if you really had some key things aligned, you had your interest, you had your integrity aligned, first of all, you're working with somebody who's not going to rip you off. That's kind of a given. But then also, are your goals aligned? Are your, you know, spending habits aligned? I mean, it takes a lot of things to make a 50-50 partnership work. And so I think most of them don't work that well. With my business partner, it has, and early on, particularly when you're growing and you're, you need to have low overhead, I would focus on finding deals. I would focus on getting the money. He would focus on managing contractors and the fix-up, and then he would focus on getting rid of the property, selling them, renting them, whatever we were doing. And so we could sort of divide and conquer early on, and that was helpful for us. Nice, nice. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to go back really quickly to what you were talking about with you did these 47 deals in a year. First of all, how many deals have you done now total? It's over, it's over 100. And I, don't, I think it's probably less than 200 is the total we've okay. done. So that was a big chunk. You know, since then, we've probably, you know, we, we focus on three or four flips a year. We probably buy three or four new rentals a year. Some of those are multi-units. So we're doing a much slower pace than that at this yeah. point. You know, it's, it's interesting. You see and he, well, you hear a lot of people who are excited about real estate and they get in, they get the you know, the taste of victory, so to speak, and they get their first couple of deals and they're like, oh, I want to grow, I want to grow and I want to be huge and I want to be huge. And and I think a lot of people don't realize that there is a cost associated with becoming huge. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's important to to stop and reevaluate what your initial goals are. And and it's it's cool to hear that you guys did that and you guys were 
killing it with 47 deals in a year. I mean, that's fantastic. Holy cow. And you said, wait, let's put on the brakes. We don't need all that money. We don't need all that. We don't want to live that kind of life. And so, you know, part of what this show is about is, you know, I think exploring different methodologies and mindsets and ways to go. And I always think it's it's cool to point out little things like this. I mean, you know, we don't have to be the biggest and the best to be winners at, yeah. in, in the game of real estate. And I think sometimes it's it's easy to get caught up in it and forget about that. And so I'm really glad to hear you reiterate that. You know, let's let's build what we need. Let's get this lifestyle that we're hunting for, that we're looking for, and do, you know, I mean, shoot, three, four deals a year is a pretty decent lifestyle. You're not busting your your backside, uh, working too hard, and you're making good money. So, you know, what more could you want? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you, Josh, because, and, and it takes a different evaluation, though, because I think it's so built in. I know it was in my head. I played sports, you know, competition, you're competing with yourself. But more than that, what you hear around, like you're saying, you hear around is that you need to do more, you need to do more, you need to do more. You need to have more, and I think you need to you need to have enough to make that meets your goals and that you're happy with, and that's really difficult to figure out. But what, one little trick we've been trying, and this is from your favorite, I think it's your favorite book, right, Josh? It was the the, wow. fair, four, the Ferris book. Four yeah. hour work week. <laughs> you know, somebody on Twitter, by the way, yesterday yeah. sent me a tweet. It was like, Josh, when are you going to finish the book? That was literally <laughs> a tweet I got yesterday. I'm like, oh my god, really, yeah. guys? Yeah, I know, that's I know. Funny. Well. There's good and bad in there, but one of the things I really thought was helpful in that book was this idea that you have to build in measurement tools for more than just money. And you know, you have money is certainly a factor. You got to have money to do what you're trying to do in life. But you also, more importantly, like with my trip and with playing basketball in the middle of the day, you've got to equally treat, quantify time and mobility. Yeah. You know, how much time does it take to meet my goals? How much mobility do I need if I want to travel around the world for four months or six months? You know, can I do that with my current job or my current structure of my business? And so I start thinking about that. And, you, and so every time you make a business decision, every time you buy a property, every time you hire somebody to do something else, you start asking yourself that, how does this affect my bank account for time? How does this affect my bank account for money? How does this affect my bank account for mobility? And you try to do your best on measuring all three of those and finding a balance point. And that's, that's been the, that was a big aha for us to, to try to just use that filter you know, you're never going to be perfect with it, but at least it brings those other factors to bear because most of the time it's just money. That's all we're measuring about. You're a good person or you're a successful business person by how much money you make per year when in reality that's not yeah. that's important, but it's definitely not the only thing that's going to get you to where you're trying to go. Yeah. Agreed. I think Agreed. that's awesome. I know I know my uh my wife, who's obviously much smarter than I am, has to remind me of that oh, all yeah. the time. <laughs> like she's always telling me, like when I'm like, "Hey, look at it!" Like we went and looked at the triplex yesterday. Sixty thousand dollars. This triplex came on the market, and it was a great nice. deal. I thought, right? I'm like, and we went look. Like the first thing I said to her is, "I know we're not. We're trying to take this year. I mean, we're trying to take this year off to to not buy and to just to stabilize and to refinance everything." I said, "I know we're not really buying right now, but this deal is so good." And she just looked at me and said, "We don't need it. There, we don't like." we don't need it. Why, why put ourselves through that extra hassle and that extra work? You know, let's just relax a little bit. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh oh yeah, that's right. We're going to relax. It's hard. It's hard. I, Hey, I'm, I'm with you. We need like a a 12 step (laughs) club for, for (laughs) (laughs) I can't turn down a deal. We'll create create the, uh, the slow down forum. Anytime you feel like you're going too fast, we jump on and we'll have everybody to tell you to slow down, (laughs) slow down, slow down. I'm with you. I'm with you. 
This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light doc and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means. Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your 
transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. So today you, you said you're, you're doing flipping. You're also doing rental properties. I'm assuming, are you managing them yourself? Yeah. So we, um, I, I do part of my, I have a management business that manages it for our, our holding company. Okay. And basically I used to do all the management. My business partner did too. And we hired a bookkeeper. That was our main big, you know, uh, help was to hire a bookkeeper who start off doing part-time, just going and checking the mail you know, sending out, doing paperwork, filing, stuff like that. And we just start off at a certain number of hours per week. And then, and then we started adding responsibilities from there. So, should, you know, if somebody wasn't paying on time and it's the fifth of the month, you know, comes around, who's sending the letter to the tenant saying, hey, have you paid? And, and so we built a system and just, we started handing off more and more and more to her. And she's been, you know, awesome. That's really helped us a lot, a lot to the point where now I'm not putting signs out for rentals. I'm not putting the Craigslist ad up. I'm not you know, sending out the collection letters. I'm not following. So there's a lot of details. I'd say, you know, 80, 90% of the details that I'm not doing, but I'm still underwriting the, the uh, leases. You know, somebody sends an application, she prepares everything. And then I say, yes, that's going to work. No, that's not. And which I, I, I give a plug to your, your pre-screening article on the exact name of it, Brandon, but that's, that's, I go, I go by that almost all the time. Oh, the, was that the ultimate guide to tenant screening? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's really, really, really Thanks. good. Just has the pictorial diagram of how you figure it out. And Thanks. actually, had, we had a little system, but I had to adapt it. After I sent it to my business partner, my bookkeeper. I said, we need to do this. This is, this is really, really good. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. And I, I will link to that if people want to know what that is in the uh, show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 84. Uh, so there will be a link there to the ultimate guide to tenant screening. You can check out my homemade infographic that I'm kind of embarrassed by because it's kind of ugly, but apparently it works. So yeah, it works. I don't know. Yeah, it's good. It's right. good. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I definitely love the, love the idea. I mean, we kind of do the same thing. We have like kind of a bookkeeper, uh, sort of she answers our phones and stuff like that. So it, I like that idea too, when things get too uh, complicated and too too much for one person to handle. It's a good way to to get started with property management without actually paying a full property mm-hmm. manager to do stuff. So, uh, yep. so l- let's transition a little bit to financing. I want to talk about how are you getting three or four deals a year, buy and hold, especially how are you financing these? Just going to the bank to get in a loan or what? No. And, and it was sort of an interesting story that goes back to the beginning when we first started is that, you know, I was, I just gotten out of college. I, I did not have a W2 income, neither did my business partner. He had an internet business. So I guess Josh, you could probably know how, how bankers probably look at internet business. <laughs> yeah, they don't. But yeah, they, <laughs> they think they're, yeah, they don't, what, internet, what? what, is what? That? Oh, you have a toy? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you want to borrow money? Yeah. It so this is Yeah, 12. go borrow from some of your internet friends. <laughs> yeah. Go get a Bitcoin, right? That's yeah. Like that. But uh, anyway, neither one of us were, were bankable, basically. So we went to our professor friend, he went to the bank. And so we certainly, we, we got one local bank who would give us loans. And that's how we did our first couple of deals was we would go to the bank, they would loan 80% of the purchase price, 
But back to my professor friend, that's been the key all along is that I sort of stumbled upon that if, I, if you get mentors, the old lion, again, who's willing to help you out, it's, only, it's one step away from wholesaling, wholesaling a deal to them to have them loan you money. Yeah. And so what we started doing was that my professor friend would loan his IRA money as a second mortgage behind the local bank. And so the local bank knows about this. There's a portfolio loan, so they're not you know, selling this off to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, that kind of thing. So they, my professor would loan, we still didn't have a lot of cash in the bank. And so he would loan the money for the down payment and the fix-up. The bank would loan 80%. And so we started transitioning to more private funding, IRA funding. And to this to this point, you know, I looked at it about a year ago. I think it was over 90% of the payments we make, both on our holds and definitely on our flip deals, are all uh, are private money. So it's either like that somebody who has an IRA who self-directs their IRA and they say, yeah, I'd love to loan some money on real estate. I want to get a chunk of my portfolio out of the stock market. They would then loan it to me and they would be my bank instead of me having to go to the local bank. So we've never really covered this in depth and we probably should do a whole show on it at some point. And that's the idea of self-directed IRAs. Maybe you can just give us a quick, what does that even mean? What is a self-directed IRA? How does that even work? And how can people use that or use other people who have one to invest in real estate? Okay. Yeah. So to start with it, just think about a person who has $100,000 at a regular traditional IRA company. So let's just say it was at Fidelity, I guess. And you had 100000 bucks, and you had it in the stock market. Well, it, Fidelity will, will definitely not let you go buy real estate. You can buy S&P 500 index funds. You can buy mutual funds, that sort of thing. But what people I've worked with, they, they then have to transfer that money from Fidelity to um, and to a local, so there's a, either a custodian who lets you self-direct the money. And so what that means is you can self-direct the money into any kind of asset. And it's not that it's illegal to do that. It's just that most custodians don't let you invest in something like real estate. These, they're very niche kind of companies that you can put your IRA money with, and then they do the paperwork basically for you. And so this, the example would be, I went to go buy a house. My professor friend had $100,000. I would set up a closing and the closing attorney would contact his custodian and say, hey, we need you to wire the money. Here's the information. And the, so the custodian would then send the money. The, my professor friend never touches the money. It's, it's, it's still his retirement account. It's out there. And he's just choosing to put it into a different investment. In my case, it was a note. He, would, he was basically loaning money and I would give him a promissory note and I would give him security by giving him a mortgage to the property that I'm buying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What, Makes sense. What, what kind of rates do you get from a private lender? Are they similar to you know a traditional 30-year note or is it a lot higher? How does that work? It was always at a premium. So okay. it's always going to be higher. But when I first started, I, I paid 10% interest. That was my sort of my standard number. And as you guys know, you know cash flow and deal analysis. That, that kind of number typically doesn't work for a buy and hold rental, right? So yeah. that that worked okay for buying and fixing and flipping houses because I was making enough of a profit on the back end that I could afford to take a chunk of that and pay it to my private investor. And so I started off that way, but as I started transitioning more of my business to buy and hold, um, and I started getting more private lenders who were interested in working with me, I started, my numbers, my interest rates started going down on what I was willing to pay. And at this point, my standard is 6% is what I typically, um, with the private lenders I'm working with now. And, and so I'll pay in, Either I'll pay them interest only in some cases or maybe a 30-year amortization and then have a 10-year or a 15-year call or a balloon at the end so that I have to pay them whatever I owe in 15 years. 
I, I mean, I think that's kind of the the holy grail of of buy and hold investors, right? Because you can't get loans from the bank forever, or you eventually stop. So getting private money long term is really amazing thing. So do you have any advice? I mean, I know you talked about getting you know the old you know the lions to to help yeah. that, but do you have any other advice for how do I attract that in my real estate business and the people listening? How do we get people to lend us money at six percent? I mean, that's what I'm paying my portfolio lender is like five and three quarters. So, I mean, that's that's great. So, how do how do we get that? Where do you find yeah. the six percent lines? Yeah, give yeah. me his name and yeah. number, and then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do you find yeah. that? I'll do six well, and a quarter. I'll do six and a quarter. So oh, if you're that, lending to that, Chad, <laughs> just call me, and, and uh, I'll nice. pay you a little bit higher. <laughs> nice, I like it. You like yeah. that? Uh, I just yeah. undercut you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a competition going here. Hitting war. This is cool. No, I mean, you know, I would, the thing. I, some people have asked me that too, like locally. And what I've told them is that it's not. It's not easy. That's, that's probably not what you want to hear. But it's, it's not easy to get because it's it's sort of a slow dance. Is the analogy I give. It's it's something where you remember I knew my professor friend for a year before we even talked about doing business. And so I, I would say if you want to just know like how do you even get started with that. My strategy has been talking to as many people as I can, as, as often as I can, about what I'm doing. So I, I invest in real estate, but be deliberate about telling them what you do. And so what you might want to do is every time you talk about, you know, everybody's interested in real estate. They watch all the flip shows on TV. Everybody I know, when they hear I do real estate, they're just, especially now as the market's starting to heat up a little bit, people are all, yeah, that's great. What do you do? And so you can take that energy and that interest from people and you can turn it around and say, well, here's what I do. I go out and find, you know, those properties in the neighborhood that need a lot of work and this kind of the worst house in the neighborhood. Well, we'll go buy one of those. And what I do, though, is instead of going into the bank and getting the money, I have some other local people, private individuals who, who have their, their money sitting in a retirement account and is getting a half a percent in the CD. And they like to work with me and help me fund these deals. And then we figure out a way for both of us to make money on the, on the deals that I buy. I think that's a terrific elevator pitch, by the way. So yeah, hopefully people awesome. heard that. And if they haven't, they should rewind it and listen to it. You know, Learn it, record yeah. it, and, yeah, and practice it in front of the mirror about because, 100 yeah, times. Because what you did is you, I mean, you emphasize this is what our company does. And you emphasize this is what's in it for you. Like, I mean, you didn't say it but this way, but you're making what half a percent on your money. And I could get you a lot more. That's like the subtle what you said, but you didn't say that, right? And it, let them right. come to their own conclusions. I, I thought, yeah, I think that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And, but, you know, but to have that conversation with somebody, you know, I might start off that way. They're not going to give me the money the next day. Even, yep. even so, you know, I've, I've had a, a guy who's a, a partner with me on a deal now and has loaned some money. It took three or four years before we finally did a deal together. Yep. And so, so the negative of private money is that it takes patience. You can't just walk into a bank, throw your application down and get it. The positive though is, is that man, once you get that big boulder rolling, I've got stayed in one little small circle of people who are good friends and we talk to them and we do business over and over and over again. And, and my whole, I was really lucky again that I was a young guy who listened to the, my elders giving me wisdom. And <laughs> my, my first private lender, my professor, he gave me this advice. He said, I think it was a Zig Ziglar quote or something. He said, if you make sure that me, but not only me, but anybody else you do business with, anybody else who loans you money, if you make sure we make money and are become wealthy, you can't help but become wealthy. Yeah. yeah. You just kind of attach your destiny to your private lenders. And, and what that specifically meant for me, though, that there were some trying times of some of my private lenders where there were some deals that I had to eat and lose some money to make sure there's no way my investor is going to lose money. There's no way he's going to be inconvenienced. There's no way he's going to have a problem because he's number one. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make money long run, but I don't want him to ever have to worry about it. And if they sense that from you, if they sense that 
that person is number one and you're kind of you know, subverting your interest and your profit to them, that's sort of a rare thing too. And you have to earn respect from that person by, by proving that to them over, over time. And they'll, they'll bend over backwards and we're still doing deals and they were, people talk to them, what are you doing with your money? I'm putting it with, with Chad. Well, do you think he'll let me loan some money to him? Maybe. I don't know. He didn't have that many deals. You have yeah. to talk to him. And so it, it kind of builds upon itself yeah. over time. Yeah. Yep. So let's get into this a little bit more because I love your approach. Uh, first, so how many private lenders are you currently working with? All right. Um, I'm just thinking the last three months, I've had two closings and both of those. So I have two main private lenders. I'll say okay. that. So there's and two main guys. All right. Two main, two main but I've had, you know, I've, over time, I've probably had... Nine. Okay. Ten. So. Okay. And and presumably you can probably go back to any of those nine or ten, uh, and you have your preferred two for whatever reason, history. But I want to hear more about subverting your own interests for the interest of your lender because I think that's first of all, I've 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 never heard anybody say that before, and I love it, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So I don't know. Could you possibly give us an example of a situation where you actually did that? And what did it look like? It sounds like you you probably ate some real uh, cheese there to, you know, keep the relationship and make sure that yeah. they didn't get hurt. Yeah, there, I, I can think of one. So, so we had one where the the lender loaned me money on a property that, you know, about a year later I realized I should not have bought this property. It was in a bad location. The the numbers were okay, you know, but it, it was one of those, you know, you where you go for the two percent rule or something, but then you learn that the location stinks, and so you're going to have to the two percent rule. By the, I know I'm throwing terms out that maybe everybody's familiar with, but it's a good cash flow. But anyway, the location was not good. I wasn't going to be able to liquidate it fast enough, and so I basically sold. We, we're going to sell that property or get rid of that property, but I'm going to take a loss on it. So I'm going to write a check at closing. I'm going to have to come save up the money or if I couldn't write the check, maybe I could figure out a way to, you know, I had $5,000 difference. I'm going to see if he'll loan me that 5,000 against another property we have. But whatever the case is, he's going to get all his principal. He's going to get all his interest and he's not going to be penalized by my bad deal. I'm the one who made the decision. He trusted me to loan the money on a deal. He kind of, you know, he, he deferred to me. I'm, I'm supposed to be the expert. And so a very specific example is I'm willing to write a check to make sure my lender does okay. And I think that's I'm going to really generalize here. I think that probably is a rare thing. I'm guessing in situations like that, most investors might just say, uh, well, Well, you know, I got screwed, you get screwed, we're all screwed and good luck to you and I'll go find another guy to lend me more money. Exactly. And I've had, I think I'm thinking of another example where I did the same, it was a lease option deal, which is a little bit different, but it was where a seller was basically my bank. They They were willing to let me make payments to them over time and the same kind of thing happened where I had tenants in there, the deal was not good. And what I did though is I went back to my, I said, I need to sit down and have a conference. We need to sit down and talk. And I was honest with them and I said, I don't think the deal is as good as we thought it was. I don't think this is going to work, but I'm willing, I'm not going to make any money on this deal. I've already had negative cash flow for the last three years. So I've already lost money on it, but I want to make sure you're made as whole as possible. I don't know that you're going to make 100% whole, but. I'm willing to donate my time, my effort, my energy to come out and sell this property as quickly as we can for the top dollar. And I met contractors out there. I made sure he got the cheapest paint prices to get the thing fixed up. I found a realtor who had listed at a discounted rate, who staged it. So I, I did all the things that would have intimidated him. I could have just given the property back to that person. Yeah. But I, I felt like if, you know, whether implicitly or explicitly, they trusted me to take on that deal. 
And that's typically why people work with me is because, man, he seems, he seems like a solid guy. Okay, I, I trust him. I don't understand all the details of this creative stuff he's talking about, but I trust him. And so the, the minute you break that trust, which is what my mentor told me, the minute you break that, you've just emptied your bank account because that's not, you're, you've kind of messed up the thing, good thing you had going. And so, you know, when you start, I, I know this happened a lot in the down cycle because I know a lot of private investors who got a bunch of properties back, a lot of hard money lenders. And the entrepreneurs who gave those properties back and just jumped ship and, and walked off, they lost a prime opportunity to build a lifelong lending relationship with that person. Because yeah. if they would have stuck with them and, and said, look, you know, I owe you the money. This deal went bad. I could have helped you and helped them out so that the lenders made whole. They could have had as much money as they needed for the rest of their life, probably at a better interest rate. And that's, I think, I guess you're right, Josh. I think it is rare. I'm not sure why, though. I don't understand how you, it's kind of short-sighted to, to see it that way because business is about relationships. It's about having a few relationships who you really have a good, trusting, um, you know, working relationship with. And that, that has been awesome for me, whether it's the business partner that I have, private lenders, it, is, it pays dividends over and over and over again. And it's right. a small world too, right? I mean, you, you buy, you know, by eating it, got so many brownie points that that guy yeah. is going to then go and say, holy smokes, this guy, Chad, just lost, you know, a couple of grand and, you know, he could have walked away, but instead he lost an extra X amount on top just to make me whole. Man, if you guys are sitting on your cash, you got to give him your money. You got to convince right. him to do more business, convince him to do more deals because he is, he's the real deal. Right. Exactly. Word yeah. of mouth. You got to get word of mouth. If you, and if you can't get word of mouth, if you don't wow them with something and that's with money. I mean, we all think about it with our own money. We were, it took us a lot of time to earn that money and yep. it took this guy a lot of term, time to earn that money and he really needs that interest. And so if you, if you, if you treat it as, as carefully as they want to treat it, then yeah, it's, they're, they're very good about telling other people about it. That's great. That's great. So what, what's your favorite type of deal? I mean, you know, you've done a whole slew of different types. What, what do you like best? I, I like the creative stuff. So we've talked about IRAs, and but I really enjoy working with seller financing too. And this goes back to the holy grail of long-term investing that Brandon was talking about, is that how do you buy a property that's just an awesome income-producing property in a good location? How can you get that property and, and get some terms on your financing that allow you to hold it for a long period of time? And the way I've seen it is either an IRA investor or a private lender, or even better, is finding a motivated seller who's got equity in the property, like an old landlord who's owned this property for 30 years and is just tired of it. They're just sick of this property. I really enjoy that negotiation with them because I feel like it's a big benefit to the seller. If they, if they like you and realize that, hey, I'm going to transition from being a landlord to now being the bank for this young pup again, you know, and, and you can get really good low interest rates over 25, 30 years. I had a guy who sold me a house and it was a, just a bad condition house. He had owned, he had had it rented for years and years and years. And he was eighty two or eighty three at the time we did the deal. And he he financed me a property over twenty seven years, I think. Wow! Wow! So, wow. so wow. the the seller financing was, and so we had a you know he's eighty two years old. Why in the world would he finance that? Over, he's and we had a joke, you know we're you know twenty seven years from now we need to have a mortgage burning party, right? And you know. <laughs> laughing about it, but the, he did that because it was part of his estate planning. And he said, you know, I'm going to have people inheriting this and for them to get a big chunk of money is not necessarily the best thing to do when somebody inherits a bunch of money. 
So why not? And this was my argument discussion with him after he, we had a conversation was if you get a steady paycheck from me over the next 27 years and whoever inherits this from you will also get that steady paycheck and that pay, that you know $400 a month can pay their grocery bill for the next 25 years if you if you give it to a grandchild or somebody else instead of giving them a lump sum of 100,000 bucks they're going to get this income and that I, I like that because that's not easy to do either you have to there's a lot it's a slow dance it's a long conversation but when you when the end result of that is for me I buy a property in a good location with incredible financing, he's getting an income stream and doesn't have to mess with tenants anymore. And we both, it's a really good win-win kind of relationship and we both make, we both do well on that. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. cool. Well, th- this is great. I mean, really, really, really good stuff. Um, I, I really had one quick question left and uh, I, I guess it's, it's uh, what, what are you looking to do going forward? I mean, is it, it's stay forward at, Three deals, four deals a year, build up that buy and hold portfolio, and then you know sit and watch it. You know, eventually stop doing the flips, or or what's the strategy? Yeah, I, I have a lot of fun kind of thinking about um, what I call like a free and clear plan. And so I, I'm a big part of what we you know we went through the downturn, and we had to really button up our hatches, and cash flow was going out left and right. And so we you know we had sort of a delay in moving forward on this plan over a few years there. But the plan for us is. Is, is the a debt snowball or a, some people call it like a domino strategy where you you buy and flip some properties, you use some of that money to pay the bills, but you, you're trying to live still live simply and keep your overhead really low so that you can save as much of every house you sell, save as much of that money as you can, and plow it back into paying off some of the debt in your portfolio. Yeah. So that the end goal, and we're getting closer and closer and closer to that, is have a certain part of the portfolio be free and clear, and there's a number there that you try to get to so that you, you progressively are increasing your cash flow and you're progressively decreasing the amount of stress and moving parts and overhead that you have so that you kind of get, it gets a little bit easier, a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And that's, that's sort of where I, I see the flips and selling a few of my rental properties as the engine to get those savings to then plow back and pay off some debt. Yeah. Nice. That's kind of the same strategy my wife and I are looking at doing, especially, yeah, just in the past few weeks, we've been thinking a lot about that of just, uh, you know, simplifying and figuring out what properties we want to keep, what do we want to mm. hold on to, um, get rid of, you know, so anyway, I love that. Let's go on. I know how we could talk forever on this stuff and, uh, you know, but let's go on to the world famous. It's time for the fire round. All right, the fire round. These questions uh, come straight from the Bigger Pockets forums, and we're going to throw them at you and see what you say off the cuff. So, number cool. one, what hobbies are good for real estate investors to get involved in that might help their real estate goals while still being fun? So, what hobbies should people get into? Yeah, this is this is a good one for me. Um, I love walking neighborhoods. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I used to be, you know, I used to do more intense athletics and played football and kind of training, but m- my exercise now is pushing a stroller, a stroller around, <laughs> you know, to a one-year-old and a three-year-old kid. And so nice. I think there's nothing better though. And people, investors don't do this enough is getting out in a neighborhood that you're farming and just walk yep. and just, you know, not in your car, not, you know, not looking on Google maps, like everybody wants to do, get out and, and you get exercise. You, you can take your kids with you or your spouse with you or your significant other, and you're looking at real estate and you talk along the way, you stop and you see a for sale by owner, you see a vacant house, you talk to neighbors. I mean, you, you could, I, if I just did that marketing strategy alone, 
I think I could buy a couple deals a year just walking neighborhoods in my town. So I, I think it's a pretty cool way to get a cool side hobby to have. I love that. That's great. That's great. I used to do that as in, when I was an agent. I, I, I was, I think, one of the last agents walking the neighborhood in Los Angeles and people thought I was crazy. You know, <laughs> just knocking on doors and putting yeah. door, door hangers on and, you know, just... You know, you get to see what's around. You get to know mm-hmm. the neighbors, and and people think you know you're you're personable and local, and yeah. that's great. So yeah, awesome. All right, so here's a good one. When do you think it's appropriate to call yourself a real estate investor? Hmm. Yeah, this is a good one. You know, I think now I would say that you need to distinguish between being a real estate entrepreneur and a real estate investor. And you know, this this comes down to the definition of investing, I think, is having capital to put into an asset. And so for me, I'm, I was not a real estate investor when I first started. I yeah. was a real estate entrepreneur. I could have been a real estate agent. I could have been a contractor. I could have been an inspector. But what I was was a bird dog. I happened to be training to eventually become an investor when I started saving up enough money to actually have some money to buy something. Yeah. And so I would say that's the, the true definition of a real estate investor is having enough capital in the bank to put a, as a down payment on a property and, and own, a, own a buy and hold rental or, yeah. or a note or something like this kind of an investment. I agree. I agree. I think that's uh, well played, sir. Nice. <laughs> All right. Good. All right. Well, uh, number three, what is your best secret to winning negotiations? Do you have any good negotiation tips? Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of counterintuitive, but don't you know, so much. I'm, I don't think I'm a good negotiator in the, in the traditional sense of negotiation. If, if we were to go to like a uh, in South Carolina, they call them jockey lots, so like flea markets or whatever, and you go out. I, I, I'm not any good at that. You know, we when we travel to Latin America, and I, I feel you know there you have to bargain. But they start the price at like ten times what it really is, or twenty <laughs> times, and you know I'm I'm just not a haggler. I, I call that haggling when you have to go back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. For me, for me, there's a book that maybe you can reference is um, called Getting to Yes. It was a um, Harvard negotiation project. Yeah. And the idea that really stuck in my mind is that negotiations are where you sit down at the table with somebody and you listen to one another and you figure out if you can find a way that my needs can be met and your needs can be met in a way that is is mutually beneficial. If not, you get up and walk away. And, and so that's, that's been my approach. I'm, you know, I like, I think being a good negotiator is more about listening than talking. I think it's more about giving than it, and figuring out a way, can I, how can I make this deal work in a way that gets with them what they're looking for? And that doesn't mean you're a pushover. I mean, you've got to make a profit. Sure. But I just, I don't, I'm really kind of turned off by a lot of the traditional negotiation type of talk because I just don't think it's, I don't think it's the true term of what, what it's all about. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Last question on the fire round is, how do you find a good lawyer that understands the investor mindset? I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I mean, look, my, my latest answer, I have a local attorney who has been in the business for a long time. I think that's, I finally defined what I really wanted from a real estate attorney. And doing a closing, doing a traditional closing, that's not the, doing a title search, that's not the big deal. I, I think the, I think you need somebody who can be an advisor to you, who's seen a whole lot of things go wrong in the real estate world and who can help you build contracts to protect yourself from those crazy things that go wrong that you have no idea can happen. And so I guess the only barometer to measure whether that person has that is, you know, talking to ask them stories about, you know, what, what situations have you seen real estate investors screw up and, and see if they know some. Um, because most attorneys I run into 
don't know about real estate investors. They, they do transactions with just typical closings. They're not used to any of the weird stuff that we deal with and don't even want to do that. So, you know, I, I found a couple that have been in the business a long time and have just by default seen some of those, even though they do, they do regular closings, they've seen the weird stuff too. That's great. Really, cool. Really, really good. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the end of the show. Uh, my favorite segment we call the famous four. All right. The famous four, these questions we ask everyone. Let's see what you got to say. Number one, what is your favorite real estate book? I should take some notes because I listened to some podcasts that I better remember what this is, but <laughs> what's my favorite book. But um, I don't know if y'all have done this one on the show, but there's a guy named John Schaub down in Florida who wrote a book called uh, Building Wealth One House at a Time. Yeah, I think somebody <clears throat> I, mentioned that once, but yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, so it, I like that book. It's a, it's a good introductory book, but it's also kind of plays what we've been talking about. Of you, you don't need to do 50 deals a year. You need to do one solid good deal a year and that can make you super wealthy. And, and so it's more of a deliberate strategy. It's more of a, and it's, it's a very good philosophy. And he, I, I like to look at the authors and people I'm learning from and see how they, what, what does their lifestyle look like right now? And is that something I want? And John Schaub is a guy who has been in business 35 years, real estate investing, and very laid back, you know, travels a lot, uses his manages his own rental property still. And so you want to learn from people who've sort of gotten to the point that you want to get to. And that's, so I, I like that book for that reason. It's a good tip. Right on. Yeah. Right on. Right on. What about business book? You, you already mentioned getting to yes. Any others that come to mind? Yeah. I've, I've actually got two if I can. But, sure. Um, one of them, I really like studying Warren Buffett just because I think, I think it's very applicable to what we do in the real sure. estate investing. And he has, a, there's a book that I, I have dog-eared and tagged. It's uh, The Warren Buffett Way. Yep. Good book. And it's a good classic book. And, and so Warren Buffett, has a, he actually, in his latest annual letter to his shareholders, talked a lot about real estate. And so it was, it was very cool. He talked about two different real estate deals he had done, one buying a farm in Nebraska and one buying a property in New York City. And it was, it was just the fundamentals were really, it was interesting to see how his real investing fundamentals applied to real estate. And it, it'd be very helpful for anybody who's who's interested in that. And that's one, Warren Buffett way. And the other, though, I think having to do with just mindset and some of these negotiation things we've talked about is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by uh, Stephen Covey. Uh, that was one, I, that was the first book I read, I think, out of college that was in the kind of personal development genre. And that was, I was just, was, I've gone back and read that book over and over again and found a lot of good stuff there. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And cool. I'm, I'm actually surprised. I think that might be the first time Buffett's been mentioned and Covey, it might be the first time somebody mentioned Covey too, which is, is fairly surprising. Yeah, so. That is surprising. Yeah. 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 At least in a what? long, long time. A long, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. What about Girls. hobbies? Besides, uh, you got the, you got these two little kiddos, you're pushing them around. What you play basketball. What else do you do for fun? Yeah. My wife and I, we like outdoors, so we haven't been camping as much as we like to lately, but uh, as soon as the, the one-year-old gets a little bit older where she's not screaming and waking up the bears in the woods, we'll probably uh, <laughs> do, a little, do a little bit more camping and hiking. And nice. Uh, we like, we like traveling abroad too. My wife teaches Spanish and then I've learned foreign languages. So we like to go abroad and kind of travel slowly and see, meet people and learn languages, eat the food, you know, do all that. So that's, that's another hobby we have. Oh, fantastic. Sounds great. My final question then is, what do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who either give up, fail, or never get started in the first place? For me, it's, it's been relationships. You know, I've mentioned that, you know, kind of beat it to death today talking about it. But 
and, and not necessarily in, the, in the tr- their na- relationships as in go in and network and get as many cards as you can at a, at a networking event, although that <laughs> could be okay. But what I mean is actually have some really strong business relationships with people who you add value to over a long period of time. And I've screwed up a bunch of stuff and I've done some good stuff too. But the thing that I, the best thing I did was aligning myself with people who we could help one another over a long period of time, like the private investors, like contractors who ended up helping you out, like your business partner. You know, if you get a, if you get a good core team and you, and you treat each other right and build a team that works together well, I mean, that's, that's pretty strong. It's hard to it's hard to screw up. Even when you do screw up stuff, that that kind of picks up the slack when for yourself as you grow. Nice, nice. All right, great stuff. Great stuff. Well, Chad, listen, it's really been a pleasure. I've Same definitely here. enjoyed uh, learning from you. And you know, I know you're active on the site. You're active on Bigger Pockets. You've been you've been blogging on our members' blogs and starting to really get out there. And and I think you contribute a lot. Where I guess where can people find more about you besides there or is that kind of a good place? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, good point. I'm trying to post articles on there, and I, I enjoy writing and teaching. And, I, and what I just have to say, what you guys are doing there on Bigger Pockets is just awesome. So I, I refer it to everybody I can and say, if you want content, and I'm, I'm just trying to contribute a few things there too and write some articles, and hopefully those are helpful for, for people who are, who are kind of browsing. So you can just go to my profile on uh, Bigger Pockets. Nice, and we'll link to that in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show84. All right, Chad, well... Thanks again, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you around the site. We really do appreciate it, and good luck with those uh, those two kiddos, man. I, right. I, I got two similar age, and I, I know yeah. I know the challenges. You see the rings under my eyes, don't you? Hey, man, I've been <laughs> yawning this whole show, and it's not because you're boring me, man. It's, there's, there's other reasons. Hey, young dadas, we, 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 I understand. No problem yeah. at all. Thank yeah. you all for having me. I really, it's been a pleasure. Hey, take it easy. Hey, take all it right. easy. Bye. All right, guys, that was Chad Carson on show 84 the bigger pockets podcast and thanks again to chad for uh sharing so much of his insight i i know i learned a lot and and i really really love his philosophy yeah i do too very much so and me and him are i I mean we see eye to eye on so much stuff here and it just really became apparent so yeah definitely uh connect with chad whether it's on his bigger pockets profile come leave a message on the show notes page at biggerpockets.com show 84 and uh, yeah, just jump into the community. If you're not part of Bigger Pockets, jump in, start connecting, start learning, growing, and uh, take your business to the next level so you can be like Chad. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, if you found this or any of our other shows to be of value, please help us out, help spread the word, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, the, uh, the marketplace where I think we get the most of our earballs. Uh, I don't know if that's an actual word, but <laughs> <laughs> our listeners... Um, but uh, leave us uh, leave us a review and and let people know what you think. You know, be honest and and uh, you know that that certainly is appreciated. But uh, that's it. Follow us around the various networks: Facebook, LinkedIn, G Plus, Twitter, and so on and so forth. And get active, participate, get out there, do business, do deals, network, and good luck to you. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online.
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.